Um, I want to, uh, at a, there, there's a discussion group that I started to get that meets twice a month. And this past Tuesday night, part of what we were, we're in Genesis. Imagine that. <laughs> and that discussion group is having the same problem getting out of Genesis as I am on Sunday morning. It's just like every time you think you're ready, something else comes, you want, well, we ought to talk about that. Well, let's look at that. So, but what came out of this past Tuesday night, and I'm bringing it over here because I want to play with it with you guys a little bit, is in Genesis 1, 26, is a verse we've, we've, we've been around this verse now for a while. But it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then over in Genesis 2.16, And the Lord God commanded man, saying, You may sure... Yeah, that's where I'm at. Thank you. In case anybody missed it, we're just putting that out there. I looked quickly because I could have swore my wife was sitting there, but it wasn't her. Well, she would have thrown the phone on the floor. You just got to love it. Um, okay, Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it you shall surely die. So what we got talking about uh, Tuesday night and what I want to talk about some today is this word let, which we oftentimes read right past let because we're getting to the things that it's letting. Right. But the word let is an extremely important word. And when I went back and I just was playing around you know, with some things, the word let appears in the New Testament like 273 times, which I'm not going to read all those scriptures this morning. But I would encourage you to do it. Because when I start reading through, just, you know, just look that up, put in the word, let, do the search, and then just start reading the verses as they start appearing through the New Testament. It's incredible. The whole New Testament, I've come to the conclusion, can be summed up in the word let. But let starts in Genesis. So the word let in the Hebrew and in the Greek means to be, to become, to come to pass, to exist, to happen, or to fall out. So with this word let, one, it's not a word that, it, that um, is specific in a, a piece of time. Like if I were to say to you, Stand here. That is a command that brings with it, do that. Stand here. But if I say, you know, Bob, will you let me stand there? That shifts everything. Because that moves from command to relational expression. Because to let involves at least two parties. So every time we look at the word let, what we're seeing is that at the very least, there is something happening between God and between me that the word let is bringing the two of us into a relational moment together. Right? So let implies relational element. Let offers a level of cooperation between at least two parties. So again, let brings with it this place of cooperation, not command. Because if I say, Bob, will you let me stand there? I'm giving him the option of saying no. Or I'm giving him the option of saying yes. And if he says yes, it then puts it back on me still to choose whether I want to do that and stand here. Or I go, well, on second thought, nah, I don't want to stand there. 
and it's all in the word let. Right? So let gives room for no. So from the beginning of creation, Yahweh has moved in a relational manner towards creation, including Adam. So from the very beginning, let us create man in our image. Even in that, and going back to what we've already looked at, if, if we accept the premise that this conversation of let us involved a council and not the, the Trinity, then even in that, the, the conversation between Yahweh Elohim and the Elohim, as we've looked at, is let us, which means everybody that was present there all had the ability to say yes or no, to come into agreement and do it, or to, re or to disagree and cho choose not to participate. So again, this, with this word let, as we start to look at it, um, if we go back to Genesis 2, then we have this place where, and the Lord God commanded man saying, you may surely eat of the tree, of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of good and evil you shall not eat. So again, what happens? We have now in Genesis 2, God doesn't say, I'll let you decide what you want to do. He commands and says, of everything in the garden you can, of this you can't. Now, one of the things that came out of Tuesday night's discussion, which I found very interesting that we ended up running down that rabbit trail for a while, but it was really good. One person in the, in the group said, so God gave permission for them to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, to which it, we then began to kick that around a little bit and went, no, God did not give permission. He gave a command not to. God gave permission to eat of every tree in the garden, including the tree of life. So if God, whenever God is speaking to us, God speaks and brings forth something from the, from the perspective of what is good for me. So he's always saying, let us come. He's always presenting things in a way that he's presenting what is good for me. So when we, when we, look, at the, when we look at the Ten Commandments, right? We've all called them Ten Commandments. And we all know them because Charleston Heston. <laughs> the other flannel graph. And we know that Charleston would never lie to us. But the, the more appropriate way of looking at those are 10 promises. If you, then I. If you, then I. If you, then I. And these are promises that what I want is for you to have the best in every situation. So God comes saying, this is what life and life abundantly look like. So he's not in this place of putting things out there just to restrict me from something. But when he says, don't commit adultery, it's not because he doesn't want me to have fun or whatever you would call that. But what he's really saying is, don't do that because what I'm offering you is life. And what I've already said to you is, love your spouse. Pour your heart out for your spouse. Do good for your spouse. All the things that he gives us in scripture, this is what marriage looks like. And when you do this, this is good for you. It's healthy for you. You'll be the highest person that you can be. You'll, you'll arise in that. So do this. And then yet, the let is still there. I still have a choice. I can say yes or I can say no. I can come into agreement with God and say, you know, Adultery is wrong no matter what. So regardless of what my feelings might say in any given moment, I always choose my wife. And I choose not to put myself in a situation that would compromise that. I just choose that. 
But in choosing that, I haven't given up anything. I've actually gained something. There's no loss in saying yes to what God's saying. There's only gain. Because now I get to live with a spouse that actually trusts me. When I say, I went to the grocery store. She's not gone. It doesn't take that long to go to the grocery store. I said, I, yeah, but have you ever seen me in the fresh vegetable section? It can take me two hours to get out of there because I still don't know. Is it, am I going to go with the parsley or cilantro? I don't know. I don't know. Mm. So I am the one that could get lost there for two hours. I mean, but you know what I'm saying? It's like when the, the, the life, the benefit is trust. And where that place of trust is, then love flows. And so, I mean, you know, we all, we all know that. So God here says, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He gives that as a command. But he also is saying that, um, and let them have dominion. His plan is, his first offer was, I want you to have dominion. So I'm going to let you have dominion. And so the, in the let, then was the relational place where both man, Adam, and God could communicate about what does let look like. You know, I, I mean, if you think about it, so here's man, and I'm, used, I'm saying man in a plural sense, but here's man, here's the let them have dominion, but if you've never had been dominion before, what does dominion look like? What do you even know? What, what does it even mean? I've never had dominion before. Well, the goal was in the dominion, there's a relational place that's building because we're going to be doing this together. We're doing it through the garden, which is the throne, which is the, the, the pinnacle of the kingdom. We're moving from the throne of God. I, I like that tonight or this morning, Amy, when you're going, you know, if he's sitting on the throne, I'm sitting too. I like that. That was good. So what, what did this dominion, what was God's intent in the dominion in the garden? That we're going to do this together. I'm going to show you and teach you what dominion looks like in your life. I'm going to teach you how to exercise a place of dominion that you haven't seen before. And by the way, that command is still here. And the invitation of let is still here. So he's looking for us to come to him, and in every situation, what does dominion look like? You know, we, as we prayed through and are praying through the situation with Micah. So we take that in a place of, of healing, as we're praying for healing, as we're wanting to see healing touch somebody's body. What does that look like? How do we do that? What, what is, what's my place of dominion in the healing of Micah? And what we saw today, I think, was clearly exercised in a place of dominion was when Casey stood up and said, I can identify with that four-year-old because I was that four-year-old. A place of, of dominion rose up because of past experience. And all of a sudden, God starts teaching us right here in this situation, this is what dominion starts to look like. Now, we still don't have the whole picture, but something shifted today. There was a deeper understanding today. And one of the worst things we can do, especially with healing, and we're all so prone to it, but the worst thing we can do is try to make healing some kind of cookie cutter, say this, confess that, read that, memorize this, put that scripture on your refrigerator. You know, All of those things can play a part, but that is not the owner's manual to healing. The owner's manual is relational. Let us lay hands on the sick. I don't know how to lay hands on the sick this time. Then let us. The let is always relational with him. He's not removing himself from us saying, just go heal the sick. He's saying, let's go heal the sick. So that when we step into the situation and say yes to the go, We've now said yes to the relational let. 
And now he can show me something new. And maybe I'll pray for somebody that's sick in a way I've never prayed for him before. Something comes to mind, you're like, never saw that. I didn't see that. Like one of the things that I sent word to Heather Turnahan this week was, and some things that we've learned here, is that it's often good, like in this case with the chemotherapy, to begin to, every time he's getting a treatment, speak to the healing, speak to what's supposed to be happening. If they're putting this treatment into his body, and it's amazing to me that they've, they've got it to the point, you know, it's so fine-tuned now, it's going specifically to the adrenal area to treat what's happening in the adrenal area. It's not attacking the brain. It's not attacking the, the chemo, the treatment. It's not attacking the brain. It's not attacking the liver. Or any, it's going specifically to that area, and they're monitoring and fine-tuning. So I said to Heather... What we've, one of the things we've seen, and maybe it would be good to try, is when he's getting the treatment, speak specifically to the treatment and specifically to the area and thank the body for receiving it. Thank the body for removing the unhealthy cells. Thank the treatment for, for doing what it's supposed to do. And thank the body that it, that it doesn't need to respond with, with multiple side effects, as can often be the case. That doesn't mean if you do that, you're guaranteed that this is all going to happen in a certain way. I'm not saying that. But what we are seeing is in the let us pray, we're learning things. And oftentimes those become tools for the next time we pray for somebody. And so as we walk through this with Bob, we, we began to see that happening. All right. So in this idea of let is this place of, of working together with him. So God doesn't give permission or command towards evil. His uh, permission is towards the tree of life. He's, that was what he wanted them to be focused on. Stay when you, all the trees of the garden you can have, including the tree of life. This tree over here, the knowledge of good and evil, leave that alone. Um, it's an interesting thing, and this is just a side note, and it may even become part of another discussion group, but it. It was one of those things I hadn't seen before, I guess. So let us make man in our image. Then later after the fall, it says that um, now man will become like us, knowing both good and evil. So the us of the let us make had the knowledge of good and evil. They already had that. They didn't get that after the fall like man did. They already had it. So we'll play around with that later, but that starts to bring in some other, other, other things to, to think about. Uh, I think I've got... So this idea that when Adams chose the, the tree of good and evil, the, the, the word was, if you do that, then you're going to die. And of course, we all know that when they ate of the tree, they didn't physically immediately die. But what they did do was become able to, unable to see. They didn't die physically but they, they did become unable to see. Their thought was, if we eat of the tree of, good, of the knowledge of good and evil, we'll know it all and we'll be like God. What they actually got was blinded. So the knowledge of good and evil didn't bring an, a greater enlightenment. It actually ensnared them and blinded them, uh, which ultimately led to other things. So, because what, with the let us, they're in the garden, they're in full relation with God, they're, they're able to uh, talk with him, to work out what does dominion look like, so there's this whole relational thing happening. Once they say, we're going to choose this tree, and now they ate of it, now 
they're no longer in that relational place that they once were, where in that relational place they could see all things. Because God was not withholding anything from them. But now they step over here. Now with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what do I see? I can only, I'm now seeing everything through this filter of good and evil. Over here I saw everything through the filter of life. And if I see things as just life, I'm seeing things differently than if everything I encounter, I see it as good or evil. And I'm always weighing the balance of good and evil. So they lost the ability to see, in my opinion. So we come into the New Covenant, to the New Testament, and let is still there. As I said, it's there 273 times. So we have these... Um, Again, with this idea, I want one other thing, and then, because it ties in. Let also brings with it, because it is a come to pass, it is a become, let brings with it some amount of time that is undefined. Well, how long does it take to come to pass? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see how long it takes. If I ask Bob, can I stand there, and he says yes, well, how long does it take me to get there? Well, I know I can stand there, but I'm going to go get some water, and then I'm going to go get rid of some water, and then I'm going to talk to you in the hall, and eventually I'm standing here. Hour and 17 minutes later. So when we read the creation story, and again, this is just a review of some things I've said earlier, but when we re read the creation story, the let there be, let, let the earth bring, let the water bring, the letting that takes place in the first chapter of Genesis brings with it not a 24-hour thing, but brings with it some period of time, and we don't know. The Bible does not tell us how long that time is. We just don't know. We know that God initiated it, and, he, and we know that he put within creation the ability to bring things forth. How long did that take? I don't know. If, if you can go there with me on that one. So we come to the New Testament, and we see again this idea of let, let. So Matthew 5.16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God who is in heaven. In the same way, let your light shine. No. I ain't shining on nobody. Okay, you can do that. But the invitation is, let your light shine. Let... You know, when we talk about dominion, it really is that place. I, I'm, I'm choosing, I'm making choices, but God has given me this invitation. If you let your light shine, what happens? Well, men will see your good works. So somehow my light shining brings with it good works. I'm doing something tangible that represents the light. And out of the light that's in me and what I do with that light, people then begin to glorify God because what of my life and what I'm giving away. But the invitation is let. Let what you say be simple. Be, a, be simply yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. I mean, we can clear up a lot of stuff just on that one. Just get the yes or no. I didn't ask for a debate. I didn't ask for all the reasons why you can't do it. All I said was, can you pick me up at 10 o'clock? Nope. Cool. Can you pick me up at 10 o'clock? That helps me immensely. Yes or no? Yeah, I can pick you up at 10. Great. Problem solved. I can get a ride. Yeah. I, mean, I better leave it there. <laughs> Matthew 8, 13. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go. Let it be done to you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. That's, that's, that's like amazing to me. You know, we know the story of the centurion comes. And Jesus, after having the discourse, just says, 
go and let. Let. If it's just possible. It's possible. Just let it happen. Again, sometimes we get into these places and, and what God is saying is like, just, just let. And, and the, probably the biggest struggle we have is if I learn to let, I am giving up control. You can't let and control. Which is pretty amazing that God let first. He's not controlling any of us. He's saying, let us. He's giving us invitation. But he's not controlling. But for the rest of us, dear humans... Life is better letting than it is controlling. Even though we feel like we could do better if we could just control everything. (laughs) I saw a grandparent one time. um, This is not a Linda and Bob story, but I saw a grandparent one time that was being very frustrated with their grandchild who was small. And the grandparent had put their hand on the head of the child and was trying to steer the child where they wanted it to go. And it really wasn't working. Because if you take like a three-year-old and put the cranial cap on them, I can just tell you, you're not going to win. And this grandparent didn't either, but I, I, I just laughed. I mean, like, seriously? You thought you could pull that one off? <laughs> he that has ears to hear, let him hear. Let him hear. Take time. Hear. Choose to hear. I can always say no, but I'm inviting you Choose to hear, because I have something to say. And what I'm saying is of great value to you. So, if you have ears to hear, then hear. Let him hear. Matthew 13, 30. Let both grow together into the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and then bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into the barn. So let them grow together. That's, again, this is one of these things with God. It's like he's content to let wheat and tares grow together. And so, many, so much of us in the church world, we, over the years... We've invested a lot of time, energy, and policy to keep the tares out of the field. And then we wondered why the, t- the field got small. Because ultimately, in God's interesting way of looking at it, if there's wheat in the field and there's tares in the field, in my economy, tares can become wheat. In your economy, tares are to be gotten rid of. So, Okay, let me get down here. There's, there's more, and I'm not going to read through all these. Um, so in the New Covenant, the invitation is still, let us. Um, you know, and this time, the let actually is Jesus himself. So D- Jesus... Uh, represented the ultimate let. He let man do what was in man's heart to do. You know, he let, and man chose to murder. But he didn't control, and he didn't do something else. He let himself be handled by men. And one of the things, uh, let me see, okay, Matthew 26, 39, 26, 39. 
And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So we've heard a thousand sermons. And I've at least given 300 on this verse. And this is one of those verses you can preach it up good. Because you can go a lot of different directions. But what we have is the son at that moment where he knows he's about to go to the cross. And he's asking God, please, if it's possible, take this assignment from me. And we expand on that and we expound on that and we, 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 you know, we, we tell the people that we're preaching at. See, this is what happened because when God gives you something, you better do the task. Jesus did the task. You better be like him because if you're not like him, he'll just cut you off. And we build all this stuff because ultimately, if I can get you guilty enough, I can get you to the altar. And that's my job today is get as many people to the altar as possible so that when the service ends, we say, I had 35 people come to the Lord today. Really? Yep. And I'm not speaking against altar calls or people getting saved. It's not what I'm saying, but you know what I'm saying. We've, we've all experienced it, right? And this is one of these verses that's, that's a big one. If you ever get up in front of people and you don't know what to say, just pull out this verse and go for guilt. You got them. You got them. End up eating right out of your hands. 15 minutes tops. 20 if you're not a good speaker. You can just, you can do it. It'll do it on its own. So we've heard these explanations. I want to submit to us today, and this is where I want to try to land everything. I want to submit to us today that in this place of let, that, that this verse isn't saying what I just said it says. And I have said that it says what I just said it says. Which means I think I was wrong. The, because the, what we have to deal with here, there, there's a fundal, fundamental problem in the exegesis if we take this verse and do with it what I just did. Because if Jesus says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless... Not as I will, but as you will. That creates a conflict with who Jesus is. It creates a conflict with who God is. And it creates a conflict with how the two of them function together within the Trinity. And we can't jump over that conflict to make a good sermon. I think we have to deal with it. So, so here's, here's the problem. The first if Jesus is actually asking for the Father to not allow him to be crucified, it would mean that Jesus' Jesus's will is in contradiction to the Father's will. And you go, well, no, but this wasn't Jesus the Christ that was praying. This was Jesus the man. This was Jesus, who was both. He didn't say, okay, I'm going to take Jesus the God side, and I'm going to leave him at the entrance to the garden, and I'm going to go into garden, just Jesus the man. And here I'm going to have a meltdown and ask to be let, let out of the assignment. He was fully there, as he had been fully there through everything. So for him to, to now be at this place of going, I don't want to do this, I think misrepresents what was happening. So, so if Jesus and the Father are both members of the Godhead, and they are, we would have God contradicting God. Moreover, it's sin by definition to desire the opposite of what God desires. So now we have Jesus in this place of going, I don't want to do this. Well, then by definition of what sin is, I'm, I want to choose what God doesn't want to happen. So I'm, I'm, I'm putting myself in this place of sin. You know, the, 
the, so if Jesus had put himself in that place, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 4, verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet without sin. Right? Secondly, Jesus made the statement earlier in John 11 that anything I ask of the Father, he'll do. So now we're in this spot where Jesus is saying, I want out, and my Father, everything I ask him, he does. But he doesn't. So what's happening? Did God not answer the prayer? Jesus said, my Father always answers that. And if, you know, if Jesus was asking for, to not let him be crucified, then there would be no atonement. So, again, Jesus knew all along he was going to die and why he was going to die. He made no bones about what the crucifixion was about. He talked about it multiple times. The disciples missed the point. Jesus didn't miss the point. He knew why he was here. He knew what his assignment was. And in all the other times he talked about it, he never talked about it in a way that, you know, there might be a back door out of this if we can kind of work stuff out somehow. You know, in fact, he predicted it many times. And the fourth, Jesus said that he lays his, down his own life of his own accord and that he has authority to lay it down and to take it up. That's John 10, 18. So Jesus wasn't forced to die against his will by anyone. So, so we have these places where if we look at that verse where I think as we should, then it creates certain problems that we leap over because I, it's easier. I, I more want to just preach the sermon than I want to deal with what is the verse actually saying. Now, this piece here I'm taking from a gentleman named George Gill, which I just... Since I agree with him, I'll use his book. <laughs> but I agree with him because he disagreed with me and then showed me why his disagreement was better than my agreement, so, or my, my way, so now I get to agree with him. So this is from George Gill, a lot of these ideas. So first, the account of Jesus of this is where uh, it's being presented to us by Luke. So he's a doctor. So there's something that Luke is wanting us to see in this, in this story of the garden that's giving us a different perspective. Luke's the one that calls attention to the sweating drops of blood. He's the only one that calls that attention to that. So the condition, if I pronounce this word right, and I'm probably not going to do that, but the condition, the medical condition for sweating drops of blood is hematidrosis. Is that close? Sounds legit. Sounds legit to me, too. I, I put it in my uh, dictionary app, but it's a medical term, so it didn't tell me how to say it. You don't know how many times that app saves me, because I can make it repeat it until I can get it. I'm learning English. So this condition occurs when someone is under extreme stress and anxiety that the capillaries begin to rupture and blood gets into the sweat glands. But this, it's more than that because it's not just there was a little bit of blood that mixed in with the sweat. When the, in this condition, in extreme uh, stress, what happens to capillaries, it's not just in his forehead that the capillaries were, were rupturing. It was in his body that the capillaries were rupturing. And this condition can lead to death. So we're at a place where what's happening to him physically, he could have died in the garden of this condition before anybody ever got there to do any of the next steps. So this brings us to a possible fresh look at this verse. So what is the cup that Jesus is asking to pass from him? Is it the cup of the crucifixion? 
that we all put in our sermons? Or is it the cup of imminent death that he's concerned? My body might not make it to the cross, but to the cross is what I came. So what cup is he talking about? Because oftentimes, you know, we, we, we have many accounts. When somebody knows that death is imminent, you know it. It doesn't catch you by surprise. People that have, you know, whether it's heart conditions or whatever, we, we have some sense in our body, wow, something's not right. I think I'm hitting like critical mass here. Our body's speaking to us, right? So it's not that we're unaware, and quite possibly it's not that Jesus was unaware. So Jesus could be, have been saying... Father, don't let me die right here in the garden. I need to die on the cross. Yet I know that whatever your plan is, it's right. And it's my desire to do that. Possibly that's what is happening here. And so then we have, you know, because again, in in the way we preach the sermon, God is silent. God is not speaking. This is the beginning of God turning his back on Jesus because he's taking all the sin of the world upon himself and the things that we work into our sermons. But we, we, we have the Son and the Father now in conflict and the Father ignoring the Son in his most critical, challenging moment of his whole life. God steps back and says, yeah, you're just kind of on your own here, boy. I'll pick you up on the other side. But what does happen? The angel, an angel of the Lord comes to Jesus and begins to minister to him. Now that word minister is interesting because in the Greek, it's a medical term. And what it indicates is somebody that would come and administer first aid or surgery to heal the sick or the injured person. It wasn't the angel came and ministered to him and just put his arm around him and, okay, come on, boy, buck it up here. You can do this. You can do this. Come on, you can do it. No, that when the angel came to minister to him, the ministry that the angel brought was first aid. It was actual healing. So is this verse, is what we're looking at, that God didn't ignore Jesus. He sent the very thing that Jesus asked for. The Father always answers my prayer. Father, don't let this cup pass, or let this cup pass from me. Don't let me die here. I want to finish the race. I know why I came. I don't want to not come to the fullness of what I came for. But in the same way that with Abram, he trusted God with Isaac, saying, somehow the promise of God is to me, and whether... I, whether my son is resurrected or whatever is going to happen, I'm trusting God here. He told me, take your son and do this, and I'm going to be with you in that. So in faith, he did it. Well, in faith, Jesus is trusting himself to the Father, going, Father, I don't want to die here. This is not, this is not how it's supposed to end. This is an atonement. But it's not my will, it's yours, because I know if I die here, you're still going to get this thing done. So you're going to resurrect me. Something's going to happen. So I'm submitting myself to your will. But if there's any way that this cup can pass, please let it pass. And then the angel came, ministered to him, brought in healing, which was in my mind when I began to see it. And this, this piece that I just read, that, that is right out of uh, George Gill's book. Um, when I began to see that, it, it, it triggered something in me because one of the things that we've all talked about, I know I've talked about it, when you take all that Jesus went through, the fact that he was still alive to be nailed to a cross yeah. is miraculous in itself. The blood loss, the trauma, the shock, the torn flesh, all that he went through. It's hard enough to live through a normal scourging. I mean, the scourging that he took for us would have killed anybody. 
And so for me, it just seemed to, it, it brought forth just a powerfulness that when this angel came and ministered to him, brought healing to him, there was a strengthening of his physical body that was enough to carry him all the way to the cross. So he could say, it's finished. His body didn't finish it for him. He finished it. And now we're the, we're the blessed recipients of what he finished. But I'm just submitting. I, I, this is new to me. This is just, it, it shifts something. But this idea went again with the word let. You know, Father, let this cup pass from me. It was a relational moment. The father wasn't away. He hadn't turned his back on Jesus. He didn't leave and say, well, I'm going to go stand over here in Japan till the whole thing's done. It was relational. He said, Father, let this pass if it's possible. And the father came into agreement with the desire of the son and sent the angel. And the angel steps in and ministers to him, healing. And it was enough. It was enough. So when they came to arrest him, Jesus wasn't in this weakened place. He was in a place of strength. He was in a place of dominion. So much so, as we know. P Peter quit letting and thought he could control. And if he whacked the ear off the guard, that would probably help the situation immensely. You know. And Jesus had the wherewithal to pick up that ear and put it back on that man and heal it back. And then look at Peter and go, hey, Pete, you're going to live by that thing? You're going to die by that thing. So think about that for a couple days. You know. So in closing with this, what, what I'm, I'm hoping that we can see with this verse is that we can move it off the, the, the shelf of where it's been put with this God who was angry, God who was removed, God who had turned his back on his son and began to see. He was right in the, the father was right in the thick of it. I mean, this was the heart of the father that was taking place. And when Jesus said, my father always hears my prayers, he always hears his prayers. And he didn't abandon him. But he gave him all that he needed to go forward. And that same place is available to all of us. Because all of us find ourselves, and this is a good sermon topic, all of us find ourselves in that place in the garden where you're going, my strength has feel, failed me. You know? And I think it gives us all this place, too, where in this place of letting, let us, I'm in this relational place with God, I can openly talk to him about my weaknesses. I don't have to hide. Even when we go through things like uh, with what the turn of hands are going through, there's, and, and I get it to a point but it, it irritates me at another place. We get to this place where don't, like, don't say the C word. That like somehow if you say this person has cancer active in their body, that somehow that represents a lack of faith. It represents something. And, and so we, we play these silly games where... When I look at this in the garden, Jesus was honest about where he was. My body is now sweating drops of blood, which means I am so full of anxiety right now that my whole body is starting to shut down and die. God, let this cup pass from me. And he didn't say, I can't really talk about it. I don't want to say the cup word. 
So God, if you could kind of figure out what's wrong with me and just let it pass. Now, obviously, I don't want to be in a place where I'm, I'm living my life from a place of fear where I'm like, so, you know, I, so they found cancer on my nose, right? So then I'm not in, I don't want to be in this place where I'm like, oh man, my knee hurts. I hope the cancer hasn't gone to my knee. Do you think the cancer's gone to my knee? I can't walk and I think cancer's gone to my knee. No, it's on your nose. Just get it off your nose. <laughs> I don't want to be in that place where fear is driving me and I'm imagining things that are not. And I get that point. But I also know in my father that he's bigger in the let us that I can have an honest conversation with him. Even if I'm full of fear at the moment, I can talk to him about that. Because I don't know any place, and I've been there, I don't know any harder place to be than fear to be there and not know how to get out of, from behind it. I mean, I love our songs. We sing our songs. I believe our songs. I declare our songs. I've also been trapped by fear. And it took me a time to get out of it. I've been trapped by a false report that it took me time to get out of. But I got out of it not by ignoring it or, or feeling like I couldn't talk about it because if I talked about it, God would go, well, if you're going to use the word, you got it. Instead, my father was like, come, let us walk this thing out together. And so on the day that I'm full of fear, he's with me. On the day that I'm full of faith, he's with me. On most days when I'm in between those two extremes, he's with me. And he's showing me how to learn dominion as let us. Amen? Amen. Okay. Okay. Wow. That was a short sermon. Let's stand, dear people. Let us stand. <laughs> yeah. You can even do this if you need to. If it's kind of gone to sleep on you, it's all right. I'm sorry. Kind of let it went too far. <laughs> uh, Father, we thank you for all that you're doing in us. We thank you that you've come and said, let us walk this out. Let us discover today. Let us discover what my kingdom looks like on the earth. Thank you for that invitation. And Jesus, thank you for loving us so much that nothing was going to deter you from the full expression of that love. So for the healings that are being released, for the restorations that are being released, for the places of, of shifting in our lives that are being released in us, Lord, we thank you and let us continue to grow in you and see your joy, your love, your grace. Amen.